Globechain is the largest and fastest growing ESG reuse marketplace that helps companies become more sustainable, save money, and achieve their ESG and SDG targets. Globechain connects companies from the construction, retail, hospitality, and office sectors with nonprofits, small businesses, and people to redistribute unneeded items, reducing waste from going to landfill. From fixtures and fittings going to thrift stores and being upcycled by fashion students to construction material being reused to help build schools, items are requested super quickly and help generate impact to local communities. So far, Globechain has diverted over 58 million kilograms of items from landfill, and they've helped over 50 million people across the world, saving them 350 million pounds through reuse. Check them out at globechain.com. As with every sector, the furniture and furnishings industry has many opportunities to be sustainable. Particularly with fast furniture, the environmental impact is quite staggering. According to the Environmental Protection Agency, in 2018, more than 9 million tons of furniture ended up in landfills in the U.S. alone. That's approximately 6% of all American landfilled waste. But this challenge is a dream for entrepreneurs who want to make a big, positive impact by reimagining how furniture is made, used, and discarded. And that's precisely what Scarlett Tapp of the Sustainable Furnishings Council and Michael Hirschhorn, founder and CEO of Mebel, are doing. Scarlett and Michael work together to write the Circular Design Glossary in order to help the furniture and furnishings industry have a clear understanding on the various terms used in the circular economy. This episode breaks down how the furniture industry can adopt circular thinking and why a glossary of terms is a logical starting point. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, Scarlett and Michael, great to have you on the Sustainability Champions podcast. Thank you so much for joining. You're so welcome, Daniel. So glad to be here. Appreciate it. So the way I like to start these conversations is just to start really high level and to set a little bit of context for what we're talking about. So um, as an elevator pitch, what exactly is the Circular Design Glossary? So I'll take a shot at that. Um, Scarlet heads the Sustainable Furnishings Council. I had Mebel Transforming Furniture, we formed a partnership. We share a mission in the furniture and furnishings world that things need to go far more environmentally and sustainable in the practices. How it's made, how it's sold, how it's produced, how it's the interior design. We started to discover that uh, although the terms circular economy was starting to um, uh, permeate the industry, but so few people knew what anybody's really talking about. Hmm. I think Scarlett and I have a common belief in the power of shared language, of terminology that people understand, break it down. And that's what the circular design glossary is. It takes circular design, which is a concept um, I imagine we'll get back to in a few minutes and explain that uh, it's a glossary. It's 43 terms that break it down into pieces like design for disassembly or refurbishment. And each one has a definition. Each one has an example from a real life company that's innovating with that practice. And each one has an attractive photo. So to make it very uh, user um, accessible. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. And uh, to piggyback on what Michael just shared, you know, uh, Sustainable Furnishings Council has been around for 15 years. It was really the only organization in the home furnishings industry that was, you know, waving the the red flag of, of we've got to do something um, because the industry is very um, polluting, but it's a small industry in terms of, you know, our global economy, but um, huge environmental footprint. This initiative was a perfect example for what we want to do, which is educate. Uh, SFC is all about educating our industry members, whether they are a manufacturer, a retailer, a supplier, or a lot of our um, members are interior designers. And 
having something like a glossary with this shared terminology, these new terms that are coming into our our economy ecosystem, if you will, we have to all agree on what they mean. And then also get inspired by the terms that you may not realize, oh, I could adopt this and put this into my business model. So it's just been a wonderful partnership and just another amazing learning tool that we can share. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really helpful. And from the point of view of before we, we dive deeper into some of those key terms, what is the importance of having shared language or a shared common understanding of, of terms? A year ago, Daniel, uh, my colleague Mona and I were on the phone with the vice president of a major international furniture company, the kind that uh, she's the vice president and there are probably seven different companies, brand name companies that report to her. Wow. And she was saying that everyone in her firm was starting to throw around circularity this, circularity that, but that nobody had any idea what anybody was really talking about. And so she, with a smile, said, I put in place a requirement. I think she was aware that she couldn't require it, really, that we ban the word circularity and everyone has to push through to what's the actual practice they're talking about. You know, is it closing the loop? And then our glossary explains that. Is it fair trade? And then our glossary explains that. And that's, I think that's the power of shared language. It's literally and honestly... I know what Scarlett's talking about. Scarlett knows what the head of a member furniture company knows what they're talking about. And then we can build from there. It's power in shared terminology to really, I don't think it's anything short of revolutionizing the furniture industry towards, towards sustainability and climate. You know, like what's our industry's responsibility in the fight against climate change? Mm-hmm. And um, also SFC, what we do, um, we focus on these six aspects of sustainability, which include everything from social equity to circularity to water management, waste management, health, um, all of these terms that they're all intermingled and there's a lot of overlap, but circularity really is at the heart of where it's a good starting point for any company because it, there are so many ways that you can become circular that aren't going to require, you know, a huge, it's, I don't want to say low hanging fruit, but a lot of times uh, there are things that this glossary can be, a, you know, that spark, that tool to go, oh, we could do that. It wouldn't cost a lot, you know, because look, we want, we want uh, sustainable businesses to do well. That is our goal. Um, even though we are a nonprofit sharing that information, but we want them to see that the circular economy can be a successful one and it mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, we want it to grow. So. Can I riff off, Daniel, can I riff off the low-hanging fruit for a second? Of course, yeah. Riff. I, I, like one of the most amazing parts about this big term, circular economy in the furniture industry, is that indeed, some of the terms in the glossary are very new. Not a lot of people are familiar, familiar with what is biomateriality, right? Or what it what is um, life cycle assessment. But I'm familiar with, I remember my grandparents would say, reuse that, don't throw it away. My grandmother would repair things, not throw them away. That we all know about recycling things, right? So that there's there's facets of this glossary which are just good old-fashioned concepts that if we started to do them systematically and thought of them as elevated principles of the circular economy, they're just as powerful as measuring a carbon footprint or looking at non-toxic inputs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, I, I, I feel like a, a glossary would be extremely helpful for every industry because there's like you said there's so many new words and we're just getting started really as this is becoming more and more pervasive and kind of um, hopefully the norm you know sustainability is is in the forefront for a lot of industries as far as um conversation but it feels like people are are saying it because they they think they need to uh, without actually understanding what it means. And so having one, it, it's in essence, like, well, you, you're calling it a glossary. I'm almost seeing it like a dictionary. You know, it's 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 not a connotation. It's a denotation. This is what we're talking about here. Yeah. And um, it, yeah. it's very prescriptive. <laughs> Say it again, Michael. Sorry. Dictionary with pictures. Like, like one's perfect. It's what it is. It, uh, yeah. A book with pictures is, at least for me, way more interesting. So Absolutely. Um, and so as far as defining 
the key term because there are a lot of terms in in the glossary but let's start with the main one that this is all about which is i guess two terms um well let, yeah let's start with the, with the main one circular economy um we've had I've, I've spoken to a number of people on the sustainability champions podcast about the circular economy and i always get a definition um so i'm i'm, I'm feeling confident with it but it, i like hearing it from different people because it's a very rich term, uh, meaning there's a lot of different ways that you can look at it. Um, hopefully, we're all talking about the same thing, which is the point of the glossary. But what is the circular economy? You want me to take that one first? Carl? Michael, I want you to take it because you are a company in the circular economy. You are representing that with Mevel Transforming Furniture. Yeah. yeah, well, I should, a good point to add. We are a member of the Sustainable Furnishings Council. Okay. I can give, we, we're, uh, Sustainable Furnishing Council is 15 years old. I'm, I'm honored to be on the board. It's a nonprofit. We're a small company. We were born just seven years ago. And a lot of what we've learned is via our participation in the Sustainable Furnishing Council from our peers, from the webinars, from the seminars. Uh, just to throw in that we have a third partner on the Glossary Project called Soma Design Milano. They're experts in graphic design research and the, also um, circular circularity. Mm -hmm. So if you think of it, what's the circular economy? All of us every day live pretty much our world today is what we think of as a linear economy. Tons of stuff is made, it's used, and it's basically wasted. You know, I think about an inexpensive sofa, something as big as a sofa, we get it six years later, three years later, if it's my niece or nephew, <laughs> they're moving. Um, gosh, it doesn't fit in the back of the Subaru. They can't get it to Boston. They, you leave it on the curb. It's like a, it's a take, make, waste system. And that applies to obviously everything, uh, a sandwich and a baggie, and it, which is single use plastic, goes right into the trash. Circular economy tries to make that circular and say, we take things, make them, consume them, and then repair them, reuse them recycle them. And a key word is regenerative. The idea that many things could then literally go back into the earth and not just be used, but regenerate the health of the ecosystem. Um, and then two other parts, Scarlett mentioned a couple minutes ago. We also believe in equity. A, a principle of the circular economy is that it has to address what we call the just transition, which means if we're gonna be over the next 20 years shifting from one kind of economy that has been a kind of raw deal for a lot of people and a lot of environments and a lot of places. We wanna make this shift, not just about the production practices, but also about um, fairness and what happens when you start um, mining new ores that are needed for batteries that you're also taking, it's not cost-free, right? You also have to look at whose land is it, who's doing the work, who potentially is poisoned and address those issues. So it's um, eliminate waste and pollution, it's key products and materials in use. It's generate regenerate natural ecosystems. It's about equity and a just transition. And then finally, I think a key part is design. Like all of this has to start at minute one. You can't really put in place a circular economy if it's an afterthought. Simple example of that, uh, reuse of plastics. If, plas if different types of plastics are mixed in a chair or the... Um, frame of a of a bed at the end of the line it's very it's far more difficult to reuse them because you can't disaggregate the mix of plastics mm -hmm. but if in the design phase meaning before it in the blueprints right before it ever is on the factory floor if it's if the design is aware that we need to segregate plastics such that there's one type per part and that these parts can be disassembled it greatly increases the chance that it at the end of the line, they can be disaggregated or just taken apart and reused. Yeah, and um, Michael, to your point, I know um, with a lot of our, especially newer members, they are coming to us with circularity in their DNA. I mean, it's like, it's from day one, like you said, with their business model, they don't know another way. So um, I think the challenge for us is to look at the companies that, you know, they've been doing the linear model for so long and find ways that they can be, um, you know, 
they can be responsible, but also we want them to see the profit, how profitable it can become. And that's just like in other sectors. You know, if you look at whether it's electric vehicles or that sort of thing, um, furniture is just this lagging industry that I think a lot of people don't think about the sofa on the curb and go, well, where does that go? Well, I tell people, take Take your um, design students to the landfill, let them smell it, let roll the windows down and let them drive through and see it's an eye opener. But but we, we live in this world where it's out of sight, out of mind. Oh, I don't you know. So we're hopefully these terms and us just bringing this to everyone's attention really makes them think in a circularity way that everything needs to either find a new way to be used, repaired or like Michael said, we start off from the design from day one. Yeah, it's um, I agree with that. It has to be considered from the from the beginning. Uh, that that makes a lot of sense. Just going back to the glossary, um, as we tie all of this together, who who is the glossary for exactly? So Scarlett mentioned, uh, you could think about the broadly a furniture and furnishings industry. There are those who make furniture. There are those who uh, ship furniture. There are those who sell furniture and furnishings. There are interior designers who are very influential in um, mm. decision making of those who are uh, furnishing uh, an office space or a home space. There's there's an entire media ecosystem. You're part of it, of uh, this world. And these are all this this glossary was written to drive right up the middle. For, for all those audiences, you know, you could say it's it's three oh like level three oh three university, but it's also one oh one. Um, and consumers is another big part of it. Like the more someone walks into a furniture store or walk goes online and poses the question is is asking, so what's this made of? Like, what's in this mattress? You know, what where does this wood come from? The more that's going to push an industry towards incentivized change in a in in an industry. That makes yeah makes sense to me. Oh, just to, to the riff off of what Scarlett said within those categories, you know, retailers, manufacturers, etc. There's Scarlett was mentioning. There's 85 year old legacy large corporations that really are big ocean liners that have to shift course in the middle of their voyage, and then there's an entire new generation that's so exciting um, uh, of members. One that comes to mind, Scarlett Sabai, for example. Oh yeah. <laughs> member of SFC, and they're born probably in the last seven years, meaning the company was launched in the last six or seven years, and all they're about is operating circular in a circular fashion, and they're very transparent about, we tried this, it didn't work. We tried this, it did work. We're experimenting. A part of their brand is to share their experience of trying to become ever more circular in their practices. Fantastic. Um, just on the point of business. Um, I personally have just, I'm very fascinated with the business side of sustainability because ultimately, I mean, Michael, you, you run a business. Um, so, and, and Scarlett, you work with many businesses and nonprofits also have to keep in mind the financial side. Um, but you said you use the word profitable, uh, in your, when you were talking, uh, Scarlett about, uh, circular economy. So I'd like to look into that a bit more because, I, I personally believe, especially with circular economy, but just in general, that sustainability, uh, even if you put aside the environmental implications and, and we kind of just put aside the sort of unseen costs, if you will, um, sustainability and a sustainable business model is more financially sustainable as well. And it actually can be in some instances more profitable than the traditional linear approach of, um, as you were describing, you know, you just take something, you make it, use it, and then you throw it out. So from, from both of your perspectives, what would you say is the financial implications of uh, companies in the furnishings um, industry taking on the circular economy and, and considering circularity from the very beginning? Um, Michael, I'll jump in on this. Um, just having worked with, you know, companies that are one man, you know, or one person shop to, like Michael said, these big legacy companies, um, they, especially the publicly traded ones are looking to please 
their shareholders, um, to be good stewards, to be good corporate citizens. And ESG, I'm sure we hear a lot about. Um, they are coming to us to find ways. How can we be more sustainable? Um, not only do we have this glossary, but we do something with Wood Furniture Scorecard where we assess retailers. In its fifth year, we just released the scorecard. And it's um, we want to make sure they're doing responsible wood sourcing. So we have you know these metrics, and it's all about transparency and what we can glean that they have in the public. And then what we do um, is we work with them to get that score up. That we we don't just say here's your score, or you're bad, or you're good, or you're, we say this is what you can do to get better. And the circular design glossary is just another launching point for these these businesses to realize okay if i do this it can lead to a better business plan to be a better corporate citizen especially like i said in publicly traded but even in smaller um niche companies they're seeing their customer base whether they built that base that is has that sensibility about sustainability already they're they're getting good response. And I can just say that because we're getting more in terms of membership and membership engagement. They're wanting to learn more so that they can adopt those policies. So obviously it must be um, profitable. I haven't seen everyone's, uh, you know, their revenues or anything, but it seems like hopefully globally, all industries are trending that sustainability is a good thing for your company. Mm-hmm. So um, like Scarlett mentioned, I think you're looking at increased consumer demand, like consumer interest. I can't tell you how many times, you know, now that COVID is um, calming down and I'm, we're, out, we're all out and about more, I mentioned, you know, whether it's at the proverbial Thanksgiving with my uh, crusty old uncle or whether it's in a, a conversation with someone you're bored waiting in line. And I say, what do you do? And I say, I run this furniture sustainability blah 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 one out of two out of three times they go oh my god can you help me figure out how to get a green mattress we went online and it was bewildering right my niece was really trying to get a sofa that didn't x or my you know we're looking for the bookcase or or we have this carpet and we just don't know how to get rid of it but we don't want to throw it away like i want to tell them about the big mission of our company they want to know very practically where do i buy this or where do i give this thing away Mm. and and it's an indicator, I think, of the, especially among our younger demographic, of the demand side of things. That 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 companies that are unable to answer to those questions and unable to pr- provide the products for an increasing number of consumers for whom sustainability is an increasingly important criteria, along with price and beauty and uh, functionality and what they buy, they're going to be left behind. That's that's one. Second would be some of the SFC companies are super interesting because they see the they see the, a shift to circularity in very literal revenue stream terms. You know, for example, a company that goes from here, you bought it, it's your business, to a company that shifts in, in circularity terms to you've bought it and now we're still with you on the journey of the piece of furniture. And if an uh, arm breaks and you need a re- you need to replace the part. It a keeps it so they don't have to throw out the, the the chair because the arm's broken because there's easily accessible replacement parts and the chair going back to that design question the chair was designed from the start that you can actually you know disassemble you can take out the arm it doesn't mean it's lost because it's so fused with glue in there that it, a, an arm can't be removed and then the fact that the company is selling the replacement arm is a revenue stream for them it's a new revenue stream it's it's a new form of of um, buoyant business for them. And that goes also to companies that are offering um, a furniture rental in addition to furniture sales. Like, why do we have to own everything? What 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 needs to be owned and what could be used for its term? And then uh, either purchase with a deduction of the accrued rental costs or given back, you know, for the next person to rent. And then finally, I think a behemoth company like IKEA, which is out there and in some ways for a long time has been connected to the the linear economy, they have taken it on as a corporate mission to be the leading circular, a a circularity, company-wide circularity by, by, I don't remember if it's 2030 or 2040. And and if a company that's as 
large and an industry leader as that has decided that there's market gain to be gained by being seen as the leader and the, the standard bearer of a new way to go with furniture, that's telling you where the market pressures are. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it's very exciting to, to hear that that kind of movement, because like you said, it, it's showing that, and, and this is something that I'm a firm believer in. I, I mean, I think it's important that we, um, you know, that governments and large corporations take action, but I also think that we as individuals have so much power because ultimately Ikea is catering to individuals and they're obviously seeing that, like you're saying with the younger generation, it's it's not just a nice to have, it's becoming a must have for sustainability to be part of the process uh, and part of the the design and the thought that goes into practically any product now. Um, and so it's amazing to see that, you know, one individual, well, many one individuals getting together and and pushing this forward is is changing an industry leader like IKEA to completely reconsider how they run their entire business. Right. And I think we we see it often as a, a two or an even three-way chicken and egg cycle. There's consumer demand, mm-hmm. but there's also companies playing leadership roles. You know, there's what Apple was famous for, giving people what people couldn't even articulate they needed, that companies have to also take a step forward. And then there's a policy dimension that I think we'll probably talk about in a few minutes later on about the limits to where the, you know, the marketplace will go and what what public, state and national policy will probably make a big difference on. Well, on that point, since you're mentioning it, um, is there, can you talk more about it? Absolutely. <laughs> I'll be. <laughs> you go, Michael. I'm going to let you run with that when you're on a roll. <laughs> um, I'll. It's a complex world, so I'll, I'll focus on one policy called extended producer responsibility. It's just getting rolling, but it basically is. It takes the uh, current idea that most companies now, when they sell you something, that's the end of your relationship. You've got the chair now, you've got the table now, you've got the lamp now. And whether it's two years later or 25 years later, what happens after you, the original purchaser, the original user, no longer needs it, you're redecorating, you're moving, has no relationship whatsoever with the company that originally sold it to you. Extended producer responsibility totally changes that equation. And it basically says that a company is required to maintain the relationship with its products such that two, five, 10, or 20 years later, whether it's the need to help facilitate its resale to a second buyer, or whether it's needed to help refurbish it and get it back into their um, second tier, you know, uh, uh, used furniture or second second, um, life furniture, that they're responsible for it. And then uh, some two, two states, I believe, have already put in place the requirement. I think Maine is one of them in which companies are responsible for the for the recycling program hmm. as, as opposed to it being a tax-based program in the state you know where tax money pays for it it becomes part of what's seen of as as just as a restaurant has to have hire a, uh, a hall order cart away its waste at the end of the night companies have to do the same around the recycling that's needed from their product so it's extending the producer responsibility. That's a policy change that has to be enacted state by state. Interesting. Yeah, there's um, that reminds me of France and their repair index. Um, so back in, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but on the 1st of January, 2021, uh, France was the first country in the EU um, to basically have this repairability index uh, where um, any product that a, that a company makes has to have a number from one through 10 demonstrating how easy it is to repair their product and it's almost like the nutrition facts if you will but for uh, repairability and and i'm not sure i don't know a whole lot about it but i I don't know if there's any form of tax component to it you can you can imagine that it would be an easy way to um, you know to encourage companies to to have a high repair score um, by taxing it, maybe having some sort of banded thing where every time you go below eight, for instance, or nine, there's an element of an additional tax to it. And some companies may just see it as a fine and they don't do anything to it, but it will eventually affect how many people 
buy their products because like you're saying, you know, there is this demand and that there is this push and people are asking questions. Um, but uh, yeah. So, hey, I, Scarlett and I back in a year to talk about that yes. issue of interrelationship of public policy, tax yeah. and private enterprise. Yeah, uh, it's, it's an incredible tool. Um, like advises an entire industry to shift gears. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, it comes with a lot of push uh, back, I'm sure, from the industry, of course. So, um, yeah, it, it, it has its challenges. Um, but, yeah, I think it's um, – but that, that that's why I think, you know, there's um, – we don't – it's not just – people it's not just government it's not just industry each one of these are levers and they all work together to actually create something that um that that can push everything forward towards a more circular economy um and then it, ultimately there's consumer self-interest there's business self-interest and there's policy public policy uh civic self-interest <laughs> Yeah, and what we've noticed since post-COVID, um, this idea of having a healthy in interior because everyone, you know, we were very preoccupied as we should have been with our health during those couple of years. And we have an initiative, it's called What's It Made Of? It's important with the American Sustainable Business Network, which is our lobbying partner. Um, they work really um, with the federal government to, or they try to get all those good policies pushed. But it's also with the Center for Environmental Health, as well as Parsons um, Healthy Materials Lab. And it's the idea of getting the toxins out of the furniture and educating the consumer as well as the industry. But um, that is where I think consumers are starting to really, um, especially the moms out there, you know, they're going, wait a minute, I just bought a rug that um, is giving me a migraine. <laughs> like I, it's off gassing or this couch or whatever. So, you know, that is that push pull. It's going to be consumers. It's get, like you said, Daniel, it's going to come from all of us. Um, and I just think the time is right. It it's, we're feeling it and we're feeling it because there's also, we're racing against a clock with climate change. So I'll be the leader of dads against toxins and furniture. And too. Dads, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh. I was I was hearkening back to my my uh, mom days. So. Yeah, it's um this point about off gassing. I recently learned about how toxic furniture can be, um, and I think traditionally, you know, the cheap, easy to use materials, perhaps I had no idea. And and sometimes what I recently learned is it can off gas potentially in some cases for years. It's not just like you you open it and then a, a few days later it's done. It just keeps going and going and going. You know and Link, yeah, Go sorry. Go ahead, Michael. I was just thinking of that as a kid, you get into you, that new car smell, right? You're like, oh, I love the, do you know what was, what, what that really is, right? That's, that's, that's poison. That's toxins. Formaldehyde and some yeah. at work. <laughs> yeah. That's a shame because it's it's so nice. <laughs> yeah, that the fact that they can make it on a little thing you hang and it smells just like the new car, that should tell us something, right? Absolutely. It's manufactured in a lab. <laughs> um Daniel, I was also thinking about technology and the way that you know, I was mentioning that I mentioned what field I'm in. So my my cousin in Philadelphia. I'm not just making this up. This is yesterday. She emailed me and she said we're they 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 became empty nesters this year and we're they're they're moving to a much smaller place. They have a carpet, it's 12 by 12, and they can't begin to figure out what to do with it. And they've called Goodwill and they've called all the local reuse places. Nobody will take carpets, which is common. What do I do with it? And the fact that via technology I could um shoot her. Obviously, I can send her the URL. I can shoot her the email. But that online, there are sites now that I, that just didn't really exist uh, eight years ago, ten years ago. That are all about facilitating the the reuse market. Hmm. is 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 one of these examples of it's common sense, it's commonplace. It's a technological version of something that people have been doing for for millennia. But now it's facilitated. It's a it's a positive harnessing of uh, of technology. Even Facebook has what are they called you know local groups buy nothing groups i think they're called okay or the marketplace 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. That are, that are all about simply using technology to facilitate a much easier exchange among who's got something that they don't want, who needs something, and they probably live five blocks apart and facilitating that. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I mean, I think um, other websites like Craigslist do that. Yeah. The mar marketplace there, and there's a lot of them here in the UK, they have their own versions of, of all of these things, including Facebook marketplace. And I, yeah, I think they're, they're used quite a lot because first of all, sometimes it's free. Sometimes it's so inexpensive that, you know, someone just needs to get rid of a lamp, $5. I just need it out and I want a tiny bit of cash in return just so I don't feel like I'm throwing it away. Um, so and the beauty of the circular design glossary is that it says that you can be doing, you can be getting rid of a lamp because someone three blocks away needs a lamp. That's just as much of a primo principle of circularity as uh, is biomimicry or a carbon footprint or technical nutrients, you know, much, much more sophisticated and, and scientific terms. They're all equally, they're all going to make the difference. Yeah. And thank you for bringing it back to the glossary. Cause I, I, I want to make sure we actually go through, um, through it because you mentioned there's 43 terms and what, what we'll do is we'll, we'll include a, uh, for anyone watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see, or, or any video, you'll be able to see a QR code at some point now on the screen that you can scan with your phone. If you'd like to actually pull the glossary up on your phone, um, also, the the link to the glossary will be in the description and show notes below the video, so you can click and, and follow along. Um, Daniel, that no company paid to play. You know, we had a small, you might call it editorial team that was making completely independent decisions about uh, which companies are, are a good example at this point in time of the innovation of the term in the glossary. And hopefully our, our plan is a year from now, a year and a half from now, we'll do uh, glossary 2.0, more terms, more more companies. So as I've been saying, uh, among the 43 terms, they really range from some that are household words like reuse and recycling to far more uh, sophisticated or newer concepts such as biomimicry, life cycle assessment, and non-toxic inputs. And I thought maybe we'd take three very concretely. Um, so uh, the first is a concept called design for disassembly. And there's a, a Sustainable Furnishings Council member called Loose Parts. That's a great example of, of that principle is the heart of what they do. Yeah, Loose Parts, it's a great concept. And again, like Michael said, we these are just great examples. We're not in, you know, this was not sponsored or anything like that, but they are a wonderful example of this idea of, okay, you buy the furniture, let's say, as a daybed. And your needs change in five years and you don't need a day bed. Well, you can disassemble and reconfigure it as a bookshelf or side table, whatever you want. But this idea that, you know, first of all, it, it sparks creativity and it makes you feel like there is latitude for change. Because I know a lot of uh, people in design and, and consumers like to change it up. And this way, they don't have to feel guilty that they have thrown out fast furniture on the curb. So... Yeah. And then uh, in addition, there's a carbon a reduction in carbon footprint because if it's disassemble a bowl, you can flat pack it. It doesn't have to bulky bookcase. It can be flat packed. And if you return to the example from Ikea, you know, all famously you buy a piece of furniture and it comes with assembly instructions forever, but it, it's never prior had disassembly instructions. Now that's part of what's becoming the common practice. That's also part of design for disassembly, which if you if you went ahead and downloaded the glossary, that's term number thirteen. Yeah. It's you uh, when you're when you're ready to move that bookcase. What are the instructions to unassemble it such that you can re-flat pack it and put it in the back of your um, car or transport it to someone who's buying it from you? Let's say through the Facebook neighborhood group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And and that goes back to the point you were both making earlier about, um, you know, this, this, at least that specific example, that has to be thought through from day one, you can't just sort of halfway through say, Oh, wouldn't it be nice if we could just turn this couch into a bookcase now? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, yeah. a bit more complicated. So yeah, it makes sense. Um, and it sounds like it's one of those things where 
I, I mean, it's much easier to to just design a daybed or, or or a couch and that's it. But to find how you can turn that specific shape into a bookshelf, I mean, that's a completely different thing. You know, it looks so different. You have to be able to to really think through from the beginning, how do we actually assemble it so it looks good and it works well as both of those um, types of furniture? That's that's challenging. A few minutes ago, she said in the DNA, it's like yeah. that is that is the DNA of loose parts, right? That's their core corporate model is to create furniture that can be assembled and reassembled into different configurations as your needs uh, change. That's amazing. And and it's um, very prevalent in the uh, furniture design students um, that we've met that come through. We're, we're based in High Point, North Carolina, which of course is the furniture capital of the world. Um, and we have like a lot of North Carolina State students that have done some things for us. They built a chair for us for uh, one of our events at the market. And it wasn't this design for a disassembly, but talking more about the DNA, it the professor's already teaching that. That is becoming this this glossary is probably they've probably done half of the things in their in their course description, which is very promising and exciting and gives us all a lot of hope. So that's amazing. I think they're going to be the the ones who are pushing us to do uh, glossary 2.0 because we've run out. Yeah. We've done your 43 first ones. <laughs> They're gonna come up with the new terms. So should I give a second example from the glossary? Yes, please. All right, again, if you happen to download it, uh, term number 24 is product as service. And this you might say is a fancy way of saying uh, renting or leasing. And in, in, the, in the context of circularity, product of uh, service really, it's challenging a traditional model of consumption that, you know, that linear idea that if you want something in the furniture furnishings world, you need to buy it and have it. And it turns it around to differentiating what are the things that really do need to be owned and what are things that um, a, re a consumer requires access to. And then at a certain point, they no longer want or need the access to. And why not like a rental car, right? Every time you, you fly to Fort Worth, you don't buy a car, you rent a car. And then you give it back to Avis and they rent it to the next person. And it's applying that concept and beyond, I think in the old days, furniture as a, a rental as applied to furniture might apply to parties, right? Or might apply to someone who's had a medical emergency and they need specialized furniture. This, this makes it, quote unquote, much sexier. You know, it's, it's high-end furniture. Mm -hmm. There's a company that the company that we use as the illustration is called ZZ Driggs. And their, their furniture is very, very cool. You know, it's like- And it's saying, very sustainable, yes. In and another itself, yeah. And if you lease from them and decide ultimately to buy it, it's got uh, terms that you've seen sometimes in the in the house rental or purchase market where you can apply the money that you've already put into the rental towards the purchase cost. Um, and then finally, should I do one more as an illustration? That'd be great. Uh, let's take um, uh, regenerative design. So this, I mentioned this earlier, this is really the, you might say the pinnacle. This is the idea that there's a company called Compost Board that makes its furniture out of plant material such that literally at the end of its life, if you wanted to not pass it on to someone else, not resell it, not reuse it. If you literally wanted to dig a hole in the ground and put it and bury it in the ground, it would decompose and become nutrients for the earth. And I have a feeling that over time in the next you know 10 years, their furniture will evolve such that uh, it looks more and more like high-end furniture. Right now, it, it's called compost board, and it looks a bit like compost board, but I think they'll they'll evolve into compost board furniture, which is regenerative and uh, looks really cool and really, quote, regular as furniture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think those are those are three great examples, and and there are forty others um, there that are, um, and and what it sounds like to me, and and we kind of started with this with this point from the beginning is that companies don't need to take all forty three and apply them right away. I mean, you you can sort of um, it, it can it it can be in phases, and you can ease your way into as a company how you change 
your practices, or I suppose if you're starting from scratch, then you can pick the ones that are most important to you, right? Is that the we're, idea? We're, we're, we have a webinar coming up on what date? November 17th, yes. <laughs> November yeah. 17th, and depending if you're here before, hopefully before that date, um, it's all about that idea, Daniel. It's all about take a step, you know, and if you're already two steps into circularity, take the third step. Mm-hmm. And it's not exactly, it's not overwhelming. You have to do all of it. You have to get an A plus all at once. Movement in the in towards in the direction. And um, I will point out too, the glossary has terms that are just not specific to furniture, like, you know, carbon footprint is in there. So it's kind of a primer for anyone to sort of understand, um, you know, just the basics, then circular design and economics. And then we can get into some of those, you know, very specific examples. But um, I just think it's a great, a great tool for anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I agree. It's, you know, if you start small and work your way in, I I, I believe that sustainability has to be sustainable or else it, it falls apart because if you start to do trying to do everything all at once, you know, just with the example of Ikea, they're not, I can't imagine that they're just going to let go of all of their suppliers in one fell swoop and then just start trying scrambling to figure out how they, you know, get a bunch of new suppliers to meet, especially with them, their level, the amount of, mm-hmm. of product they make requires a huge amount of material. So I would imagine it's phase by phase, you know, let's focus on this area first. Let's kind of master this. Once we get that, let's master the next part. And little by little, um, before you know it, after, you know, 10 years, all of a sudden you've completely changed everything and you've done it in a sustainable way um, from a business perspective. I know you're the interviewer, but can I ask you a question? Yeah, of course. <laughs> what I'm really interested. Say more about what you mean that sustainability itself has to be sustainable. What have you learned learned about that? Yeah. So I mean, just as a as an example from in a in a personal example rather than a business one, but you know, from if you're going to, if you want to live a, a sustainable life on your own at home and with your work, you know, it it's I believe that you can't just go cold turkey, so to speak, um, and you know change all of your furniture overnight and change everything, all of your habits, all at once. Um, because you'll, you'll first of all, you'll get overwhelmed, you'll get burned out. It's expensive. It doesn't really, it's impossible to. I don't think it's just the, uh, a long-term successful strategy. I, I think it makes sense to start so small. Uh, it's like building habits. You start so small that you can't say no. So change your toothpaste, just start with that, you know, do that for a week. And then you realize, okay, that's really easy. I mean, anyone can do that and it doesn't really change anything in terms of my day to day. So, okay, now I can change my toothbrush because that's also so easy. And then, you know, you just go little by little. And before you know it, you're looking at different types of, um, you are looking at different types of furniture. You're, you're approaching your diet differently. You're, you're researching all these things and, and it can take a couple of years, but much rather, I think personally, it's better to, um, stick to a habit that takes two years to build and you, you stick to those habits for life rather than try to do everything you possibly can and then burn out after two years and never try it again. Absolutely. Oh, you mentioned the other day you were asking you asked a great question about companies that are employing circular practices without even knowing they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we find that a lot with um, organizations or businesses that come to us and they they may be a little nervous and think it's too daunting. Oh, I'm not going to live up to the standards. We, we just all we ask is that you make a public commitment and that you start somewhere. And that we, and everything you do is transparent because, you know, we can, there's a lot of greenwashing as we know, and people trying to latch on to, oh, I joined SFC. So that makes me sustainable, but we want to make sure that we um, shepherd people where they, if it just means, okay, can you change your light bulbs to LED? Okay. That is huge, especially in a big manufacturing plant. Plus it reduces their energy costs. So, you know, which goes to profitability, but yeah, finding those, those small things and they may have already done that. They may be doing social equity, treating their employees and giving back to the community that they're in. 
whether they're domestic or international, um, those count towards sustainability. We just want to make sure to recognize where people are or organizations and then take them along because we don't want anyone to think we're elitist that you, you know, you're not good enough to join because everyone, myself included. So I'll give my little personal um, backstory to sustainability. So I've always, you know, been concerned with the environment, um, had two kids in the early 2000s and watched Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth and was like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, I, and I have a political science degree, but for some reason never connected those dots. Having children and worrying about the future we were going to leave them, that really spurred me on. But really, as a consumer, I didn't think about furniture back then. I thought about my recycling habits and, you know, those sorts of things that I could control in our home life. Um, and then I have a nonprofit background and came to the Sustainable Furnishings Council with more of that background. And now I'm so immersed in sustainability. My eyes are being opened left and right and um, just so excited about pushing out that mission. So, you know, you jump in where you can and you try to leave the, the place better than you found it, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and with that, um, what would you say that you're hoping to see as far as um, you mentioned in terms of forward looking that there's going to be the glossary 2.0, probably with more terms and uh, shiny pictures and, and beautiful examples. Um, but a little bit broader speaking, what are some of the innovations that you're hoping to see um, in the furnishing space when it comes to circularity? I think we kind of touched on on some of them already, but be great to hear um, if you look forward, what, what you're looking forward to. I'd say, yeah, well, on the glossary itself is that we want to experiment with making it a interactive online tool, knowledge tool. At present, it's essentially a PDF that can be downloaded, right? which is very easy, but there's a lot to be done with um, uh, a further investment into it as an online, making actually an online and interactive such that you could, you know, click through from one term to its related terms and to the definitions of the terms, for example, without it becoming an overwhelming volume. Mm -hmm. In terms of the concepts that we're trying to get out into the world, uh, we've touched on some of them. One with is it's the entire arena of toxins and, and under toxins, there's a, there are so many subsets. One is adhesives. You know, what exactly goes into a, a, a product? I mentioned 10 minutes ago, the example of where design comes into play because if you mix two types of plastic at the end of the product life, it's much harder to uh, recycle the materials. The same thing goes with adhesives, that if there's adhesives involved, often it makes it much harder to reuse the materials because the adhesives are inherently mixed. And if they're toxic adhesives, all, all, all the harder. So that's right. like a fourth of, of one that we'd like to explore further in the glossary. And of course, SFC and um, Mebel Transforming Furniture are, are looking to, be, to provide more information in this arena. Hmm. Um, and sourcing is one another example. You know, the whole idea of understanding um, Scarlett mentioned the what's it made of uh, initiative and the wood furniture scorecard initiative that they run that they're all about uh, fundamentally um, if it's wood the trees where are those trees and who's cutting down those trees and what's happening to the land and is that is that is that done sustainably we'd love for the glossary to further explore the dimensions of sustainability. Right now, there's one term, number 40, called traceability. Mm -hmm. There's called Gat Creek, which is based in um, Appalachia in the United States. And their principle is they use only materials from a 250-mile radius, oh, wow. um, in this, which allows them to keep far greater control over what are the exact materials that are going into this and what are the labor practices surrounding the um, acquiring those resources and, mm. and turning them into wood wood for furniture. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, and we also, um, SFC and Mebel Transforming Furniture, we want to build out more educational opportunities for learning with the glossary being a great jumping off point and maybe like the 2.0, um, adding some more interactive learning CEUs that are accredited. Um, 
as actually we're building out our new uh, website and, and learning module. So we're wanting to be able to make those offerings, not just to members, to anyone. So oh, that's awesome. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of great work happening and, and a lot yeah. to look forward to. And just on, on the point of looking forward to things, um, I started sustainability champions because I wanted to to demonstrate that there are a lot of people who are finding amazing ways to protect and heal the planet. And I wanted to show sort of the optimistic side of in the environment and sustainability. And, and I personally believe that entrepreneurs and people who work in sustainability, although they recognize that there is a lot of challenges, they at the core are optimistic or else it becomes very difficult to actually wake up every morning and do the work if you think everything is just going to fall apart anyway. So with that, I'm curious to know, um, why does your work that that you do and and whether it's on your day to day or within the um, within the glossary, why does that make you optimistic about the future? You want to go first? Sure. I think I've I've touched on that before. I'm optimistic uh, with the younger generation. I feel like they are really leading the challenge. They inspire me and a lot of uh, industry folks to go, you know, to to wake up that this is the new economy that they're going to lead. Um, and I just feel like everyone is is feeling collectively post what the world has been through in the last few years, that there is a coming together um, in various industries. I mean, we've seen it happen in um, cosmetics or cleaner. Uh, we've seen it in the cl home cleaning products. Fast fashion is kind of our, our stepsister, you know, fashion and home fashion, so to speak, are, are very interrelated, but we see a lot of changes in textiles as well as furniture. So the trends and of course, uh, you know, transportation, we're seeing, I mean, EV, 10 years ago, you talk about terms, if you had said EV, I would have said, what is that? Yeah. Is that a club? What? I don't, I'm, you know. There are terms now that it's just, that's part of what, where we're going. So very, very excited about the future. That's awesome. Funny you should mention young, younger people, because I, I'd answer this very similarly, Daniel, that in the last year, I had the opportunity to meet, get to know and meet with some young, young adult climate activists and then start to follow them, you know, on Twitter and online. And it's so inspiring, um, the sense that, these are young people who my generation is handing them a very tough cookie here. And they still feel very optimistic about yeah. the, the beauty of life, the beauty of the earth, and the, 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 the gift of making all of this sustain itself. And if, if I could take a second, I just I, I want to put a plug. There's one of the climate activists, uh, his name is Aisha. It's at Aisha, A-Y-I-S-H-A-S. Twelve. Another is uh, Leah Thomas at Leah Tomi, L-E-A-H-T-O-M-M-I. And a third is uh, Helena at Sumac Helena, S-U-M-A-K Helena. And they, you know, I talk to them and I think, crap, I got to get my acting gear because if they are being so um, concretely uh, active in this pursuit, we have that same responsibility to move the needle in in the niche that we're where we can make a difference and our niche happens to be furniture and furnishings like we can move the needle because this industry has to take its own responsibility uh for, for its own revolution of its own practices hmm. absolutely and i think that's uh, that's a great message and yeah very heartwarming it's wonderful to see and this is precisely what sustainability champions is all about there are so many people who are taking action and doing something. And I think, um, you know, if if we all as individuals consider what we have within our control, whether you're a business owner or, you know, you work at an organization or even you don't work at all, I think there are opportunities everywhere to find ways to contribute. And um, and age is not really a, um, a prerequisite on either end. You know, it doesn't really matter clearly because the young activists are making a big difference as well so okay and 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 um where can people learn more about your work and actually download the glossary should they choose to do so 
Uh, they can learn about the Sustainable Furnishings Council at sustainablefurnishings.org and uh, or do a quick Google. You'll find us on YouTube as well. We have lots of webinars and, and uh, good video content for learning. And we, we are Mebel, M-E-B-L, Transforming Furniture. Our URL is uh, www.meblfurniture.com, all one word, Mebel Furniture. And if you'd like to download the glossary, it's free. Just go onto our website and you'll see, as soon as you get to the landing page, there's a tab right up top that says circular glossary and just click on it. Put in uh, your name and email and it it uh, flashes on your screen within seconds. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, we're also on Instagram at, um, at Mebel Furniture also. Perfect. Well, yeah, thank you both again very much for your time. And um, yeah, all these three links will be included in the, or the two links will be included in, in the show notes and description below. So um, for anyone who wants to learn more about uh, either of you, they have the opportunity to click it directly from there. Uh, yeah. So thank you again very much and looking forward to seeing what happens next. Okay. Thank you. Globechain is the largest and fastest growing ESG reuse marketplace that helps companies become more sustainable, save money, and achieve their ESG and SDG targets. Globechain connects companies from the construction, retail, hospitality, and office sectors with nonprofits, small businesses, and people to redistribute unneeded items, reducing waste from going to landfill. From fixtures and fittings going to thrift stores and being upcycled by fashion students to construction material being reused to help build schools, items are requested super quickly and help generate impact to local communities. So far, Globechain has diverted over 58 million kilograms of items from landfill, and they've helped over 50 million people across the world, saving them 350 million pounds through reuse. Check them out at globechain.com.